Hello, and welcome to Real Nutrition Talk. My name is Olivia Russell, and I am the owner of a nutrition education business named Intuitive Dieta. And my name is Regan Alexander. I have my master's in nutrition, as well as my personal trainer certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. In this podcast, we are going to dive deep into health, wellness, and nutrition, debunking diet myths as we go. In our current age of information, it's nearly impossible to find useful nutrition advice, and it's really exhausting listening to all the contradictions that exist. That's why we're here. Follow along as each week we sit down to discuss a different topic in order to determine if it is diet trash or treasure. We're so glad you're here. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back. As you saw, today we're going to go into PCOS, which it's another topic of mine that I'm very close to because I have PCOS. To get us started, however, I'm going to start with an intro question for Reagan. If you had to give someone one piece of advice for someone with chronic inflammation, what would you tell them? This is a tricky question. I feel like I'm going to go kind of general because situational. Mm-hmm. But I would say if you have chronic inflammation, two things. One, really focus on your not only amount of sleep, but quality of sleep. Mm-hmm. That's often very overlooked. It's super important. And two, don't try to all of a sudden eliminate 50,000 things from both your diet and your life because that's going to cause you more stress and thus more inflammation and not really help your issue. Ooh. General, but those would be my like overarching advice. Those are great. Those are perfect for general because chronic inflammation can be from many things, including PCOS. (laughs) I think my advice is always, (laughs) my favorite thing to tell people is take turmeric as a supplement because it works. It's like one of the very few herbal supplements that has quite a bit of research around it that it for sure helps with inflammation. There's other studies that are trying to see if it helps with other stuff, but it for sure helps with inflammation. So I always recommend a turmeric supplement and especially a turmeric supplement that also has a uh, black pepper because black pepper is what activates the, the it's called curcumin. It's the yeah. molecule that does the anti-inflammatory things. <laughs> Do you have a brand of turmeric supplements that you personally like? Yes. <laughs> Not sponsored, but uh, not sponsored. But give me a second because I don't know off the top of my head. Not sponsored, but if we call you out and you want to sponsor us, that'd be cool. Yeah, please do. I'm gonna have a couple of those in this episode. While she's looking that up, guys, if you would like to help us, maybe get fun sponsorships and thus deals for you, you should give our podcast a rating and review on whatever platform you listen because that helps us reach more people. We'd appreciate it. Yes please rate and review. (laughs) Okay. The brand, I feel like I should have known this. It's nature's nutrition store. You can get it on Amazon. It's fairly reasonably priced. You can get like a 60 count of the pills for like 11 bucks. The issue is the serving size on it says four capsules. I've seen Mm -hmm. success with two. So you don't necessarily need to take the four that it recommends. The four is going to give you the best bet of it working. (laughs) But yeah, so not to spend too long on this, but is this a supplement that you take when you seem to like when you like you notice you're having like a flare up, so to speak, of inflammation, or is it something you take consistently? It is definitely something you should take consistently. That's why I say it's really helpful for people who have chronic inflammation issues because it's it's not something that you're gonna take and immediately feel better. Some people Mm -hmm. do. They have seen that some people do, but not everyone does. Uh, It's usually something that needs to be in your system for a long amount of time. So it kind of circulates. And we always talk about this. Your body learns. And so if you give it something like a lot of things with herbal supplements, it's over time because your body needs to learn how to utilize it. And if you only give it to it occasionally, your body is not really going to learn how to use it. It's just going to attempt to use it in the way that it knows how. That makes sense. Yeah. But good question. (laughs) Alrighty, so let's just get into it. PCOS. We're just going to start with a, what is it? Because I am constantly shocked when I say PCOS. People are like, I have no idea what that is. But it's so common in women of uh, fertility age. 
especially in the U.S. The name of it is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It is a chronic disease, and it basically is a hormone. Hmm. I hate looking this up here. I'm going to preface this by saying I hate looking up PCOS stuff because it is so vague. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like every website, and I'm talking about like the Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins and those kind of websites, even those are very vague because it's it's actually a fairly new chronic issue that we haven't seen. And I'll get into why we think that is. There's no, there's no, they don't know what causes it, which is another super frustrating thing that if you get diagnosed with it, they're like, we don't know what causes it. So how to treat it is also very vague, but it is a hormonal condition that specifically impacts female reproductive organs, specifically your ovaries, and it can manifest in many different ways. Another very frustrating thing about it because it can go undiagnosed for years. It took me four years for them to officially diagnose me with PCOS. They kept saying, well, maybe... And I finally found a doctor that would actually do the test that confirmed that I had PCOS. But it's it can be a very frustrating thing, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Because people who have PCOS a lot of times have to go and do all of their own research. And they have to try all their own stuff. And so I wanted to talk about it so I can give you guys ideas of what I've done and what I've seen other people do that is helpful. Like I said... The cause is unknown, but they say it could be a combination of genetics, environmental issues, and lifestyle. The thing that I've seen a lot in more of the naturopathic world is it has to do specifically with the amount of chemicals that are very prevalent in U.S. society, like all of our cleaning products, perfume, face washes. They all have chemicals in them that impact your hormonal status. Um, using plastic for cooking things in the microwave can have a huge impact on your hormones. And so they're theorizing that that could potentially be an issue. I've also seen a lot of people with eating disorders tend to also have PCOS. And that's because when you have an eating disorder, you tend to put yourself in starvation mode or you're not getting enough fat in your diet because of dieting. And so your hormones don't develop the way they're supposed to. And so that kind of turns into PCOS. So the symptoms of PCOS, like I said, are (laughs) varying and they change throughout your lifetime. So I'll read the symptoms and then I'll tell you guys kind of what I experienced through my lifetime experience of PCOS. So the symptoms are... Heavy, long, intermittent, unpredictable, or absent periods. (laughs) So anything out of the norm. Anything out of the norm. Infertility, acne specifically, cystic acne, oily skin, excessive hair on your body or face, um, male pattern baldness or thinness, weight gain, weight fluctuation. And then if they do a ultrasound, you can have ovarian cysts. But a lot of times what is considered PCOS ovaries, they call them, this is so messed up, but chocolate chip ovaries. Because when they take a picture of it, you see the fluid filled sacs in your ovaries and it kind of looks like a chocolate chip cookie. Oh my God. (laughs) So are the cysts on the ovaries something that is like contributing to the painful heavy periods so like you might not realize you're having like you have cysts on your ovaries you're just like I just have really bad periods yes yeah so that is something that nobody told me the cysts can actually burst during ovulation and that is so painful I've had a couple of cysts bursts where I'm like in like I can't move like I'm stuck in bed my husband's just like I'm so sorry what can I do and I'm like literally nothing my body just hates me (laughs) oh my gosh so I talked about in the first episode I I did have anorexia as a adolescent so I definitely wasn't eating properly and that was kind of my first experience with missing periods But as I said before, they just, they said it was because I was an athlete and they didn't really like question it too much. 
I do remember my mom took me around 12 years old to go get an ultrasound, which uh, getting an ultrasound as a 12-year-old is, like, traumatizing because (laughs) you don't want to tell anyone that that's why you went to the doctor because what are people going to automatically assume? Pregnancy. And I went to Catholic schools. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I don't want to get it. I was so upset with her. I'm like, I'm not going to let them do it. I was, like, so ornery about it. But another, my mom has PCOS, and she mm. she never shared that with me until I got the diagnosis of PCOS. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's what I have. And I was like, Thanks, mom. mom. <laughs> is there, is, really is there a slight genetic component to it? Yeah, they do say it's also genetic. That's why, it's, that's why they don't really know what it is because it's mm. a combination of genetics. It does appear that women who have PCOS their daughters tend to have PCOS but not always Mm -hmm. which is it's just it's such a frustrating condition because it's yes but not always is the answer (laughs) when you're describing it it reminds me a lot of like autoimmune conditions where it's like you have the genetic predisposition to it and like you might not develop it but like certain environmental triggers might trigger it exactly so it kind of sounds like maybe like the xenoestrogens in like the chemicals and stuff seem to be playing a big role obviously yes. not the whole picture but yeah right that that is we've we're seeing it now a lot like xenoestrogens also impact uh sperm count too mm-hmm. so we're starting to see just like a lot of xenoestrogens come from plastics and if you're like eating food off your plastics or microwaving your food in plastics you're exposing yourself to those xenoestrogens because they attach to your food when you consume them and then it kind of like over time wreaks havoc on your system it's not like a one-time consumption thing it's just like constant exposure to it eventually will turn into issues yeah and it's not studied like xenoestrogens aren't studied nearly as heavily as medications and stuff are so we're still learning about it but chopping on plastic cutting boards is something i recently just like clicked in my head i'm like yeah definitely getting microplastics in my food so maybe yeah. i should use the wood <laughs> i know it's it's in everything and our society is like everything's plastic so it's really yeah. challenging to get it out of your life i've been trying mm-hmm. hard but also things that aren't plastic are more expensive so it's yeah. kind of a trade-off <laughs> but i my first experience was just intermittent periods and they kind of just like wrote it off and I had really heavy periods, but again, they were like, you miss your periods occasionally, so it's going to happen. Like, <laughs> Well, especially when you're, like, younger and, like, just entering puberty, that's normal. Exactly. So I was – that was pretty normal. And then I reached college, and I don't really know if it's PCOS symptoms or anorexia issues. And, again, they could be both, but I definitely experienced my hair thinned quite a bit. I've always had issues with acne. It's very frustrating. Excess body hair has been like the bane of my existence. <laughs> I pretty much have experienced all of these yeah. all of the symptoms that I said, but over time, and the crappy thing is they've been getting worse the older I get. Yeah. And again, it could be for a plethora of things, but I've just recently started taking chemicals out of my life, like within the past couple of years, and I've only just started taking plastics out. So mm-hmm. it's still kind of an ongoing process, and you can't do it all at once. No. I mean, you could, but it's ex- it gets expensive really quickly. Yeah. Like even just getting glassware to yeah. put your leftovers in, like glassware is significantly more expensive than yeah. just plastic containers, and so. Yeah. I finally got us switched over to mostly cast iron cooking ware. So taking out the nonstick cooking ware because all of that, the nonstick coating has plastic in it. (laughs) It's like, it's just everything in our life. It's really challenging. And then there's also comorbidities or um, diseases that tend to go along with PCOS, which also make it challenging. So a few of those are type 2 diabetes. That's a big one because it affects your insulin levels and so you have to be kind of cognizant of your insulin and a lot of women who don't get diagnosed with PCOS end up with 
type 2 diabetes later down because they didn't know that they needed to be watching their insulin. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Hypertension because your blood uh, your blood pressure gets impacted by your hormones. High cholesterol, heart disease, and reproductive cancer in general, but endometrial cancer specifically. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, when the cysts burst, the, the cysts are filled with hormone fluid. So when they burst, you also get this huge fluctuation of hormones because the hormones just got released into your system, which is something I only recently learned because that can also impact your cycle later on, which I've had experience with it doing. Yeah. Another one is depression is actually quite common in women with PCOS, which is a whole nother thing that I wish somebody would have told me. Like, I wish the doctors would have mentioned this because I personally have had issues with depression like my entire life. And it would have been really helpful to learn that <laughs> it might have something to do with the fact that my hormones with my reproductive stuff is messing with me. Yeah. And it doesn't change the fact that you still feel depressed but like it kind of helps you process it a little bit better and find different ways to like support yourself in that time (laughs) it's like having a reason like why you know I feel like a lot of people depression it's like why am I feeling so sad but like being able to be like it's because my hormones are literally going haywire yeah yeah and it's it's also helpful to explain that to people around you like explaining it to your parents or to your partner or whoever be like hey I have there, there might just potentially be reasons why I'm sad and I'm not going to be able to tell you why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just because I I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot of mental health stuff that actually goes along with PCOS that is never talked about, mm-hmm. never was never brought up in any of my appointments with my gynecologist, was never even like asked about. Like they do their normal screening, but the screenings are kind of useless. They're like, do you feel sad? Do you feel safe at home? <laughs> like, oh <my> <laughs> I don't uh, feel sad right now. <laughs> right. I feel good. Yeah. yeah. And then along with that, because your hormones are going crazy, a lot of women with PCOS tend to gain weight in unexpected times and unexpected ways, which can be really traumatizing for women in our society and often leads to eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And if you have an eating disorder with PCOS, they're going to kind of like play off of each other, making all the symptoms worse. Again, vicious cycle. It's a horrible cycle, but again, nobody told me this. Like when I got diagnosed with PCOS, like I had to do all of this research on my own. And it's just really unfortunate because I feel like a lot of, because doctors utilize science so often as ways to diagnose and prescribe people things, there's not enough science about PCOS for them to give people these things. And despite how prevalent it is, it's about eight. I've seen different ratios of how many women have it, but it's between eight and 15% of women have PCOS, which is a huge number of women. (laughs) Honestly, probably even higher because it seems like it's more difficult to get diagnosed or can be overlooked. Exactly. And they they say that in like everything. I've seen stuff where it's like one in four women to one in seven women to one in 10 women. Like this is where like the science makes it complicated because they haven't done enough research and it's growing really rapidly, but is something that wasn't common a hundred years ago so science can't catch up because science needs time and things are going way faster than the science can go yeah yeah i what was i talking about before oh conditions yes specifically eating disorders this is why i am like really passionate about teaching people about like intuitive eating and stuff because part of intuitive eating is that gentle nutrition and gentle nutrition includes conditions like PCOS like needing to adjust your eating patterns to help support your body when you need more support than maybe someone who doesn't have a condition has and also how prevalent eating disorders are in the U.S. It's really common for people, like I said, with eating disorders to also experience PCOS. And like Reagan said, it's a horrible cycle. (laughs) You gain weight unexpectedly or in ways that you don't think you're going to gain weight. And then 
that just kind of renews in your head all of those all that negative self-talk and all those things like oh I'm terrible at eating oh I'm have to lose weight oh I need to get on this diet because I gained 10 pounds last month and I have no idea how because my life hasn't changed (laughs) yeah and I think it's important to make the connection with eating disorders and diseases that come along later as a result of having that eating disorder especially because we're seeing like especially in young girls like the age getting younger and younger and younger as we're seeing eating disorders pop up so it's like girls are going through these eating disorders and puberty at the same time, which is not a good start for their hormonal cycles throughout life. So just being cognizant of that, if you're involved in like the healthcare of individuals who have had eating disorders, to keep that on your radar. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So next question is how is it diagnosed, right? We're saying it's hard to diagnose, but how do they diagnose it? Step one is convincing your doctor that you have an issue. (laughs) <laughs> you need a test <laughs> yeah like I had to request testing for PCOS which yeah Regan's shaking her head and I'm like, yeah, it's so hard right now yeah because I had to like tell the doctor I think something's wrong and I think we should do tests for it and the doctor was finally like yeah but the symptoms you have to have first is you have to have high androgen hormones which are male sex hormones like testosterone anti-malarian hormone, oestrogen, which is the prequel to estrogen, luteinizing hormone, which you're supposed to get or it's supposed to get high at a certain point in your cycle and then decrease. But people with PCOS, either it stays really high for a long time or doesn't peak at all, which means you're not ovulating. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get blood tests (laughs) to at certain points in your cycle or certain points of when your cycle is supposed to be, which is a whole nother issue because nobody teaches women cycle tracking. And so the doctor will ask, well, when did your last cycle end? And then they'll assume that your cycle is quote unquote normal, meaning it was between 28 and 35 days. But if you have PCOS, some of my cycles have been upwards to like 70 days. (laughs) I've gone like three months without a period. And then I've gone a whole month of bleeding like <laughs> yeah oh my gosh <laughs> so you have to like request those tests and then you have to be like my cycle also is not normal but if you don't know if your cycle is not normal because you're not tracking it that's a huge barrier to getting testing for it but anyway so they have to test for these androgens and then they also you have to like tell them that you have irregular cycles and those irregular cycles let me read the list again of what an irregular cycle could be heavy long intermittent unpredictable or absent <laughs> which and to be fair though any of those types of periods could happen for any number of reasons so mm-hmm. if you had a really stressful month your period might have not come right away and you might have a longer cycle than normal or if you had a chemical miscarriage then you might bleed really heavy for a month or Mm -hmm. so they have to decipher if you have irregular absent periods based off of also having to talk to you about your life oh my (laughs) gosh is already traumatizing and doctors can be so judgy oh yeah every time I went to the doctors I just felt like judgment central (laughs) so it's also just really hard to explain some of that stuff to your doctor if you don't have a trusting relationship with them and then the third thing is they do the ultrasound to check for the chocolate chip ovaries (laughs) and that's usually the biggest indicator for doctors they're like okay yeah you probably have psus because it's it's very noticeable like you can google polycystic ovaries and you can tell the difference for sure between the two and so you have to be diagnosed with two out of those three things in order for them to diagnose you with pcos so it doesn't have to be all three it generally is all three but as i was talking through it (laughs) it takes a while for them to consider that and most of the time when you have an irregular period which is usually the first symptom of pcos what does the doctor recommend every every goddamn time oh my gosh you could go in with like yes let's open your finger and the doctor will be like have you tried birth control literally gyna call it and it's because 
I don't think a lot of people know this, but gynecologists are paid extra when yeah. they can get women on birth control because they get bonuses for putting women on birth control. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we do a whole episode on birth control. Yeah. But- we will because <laughs> we've got things to say. Knowing and- how to track your cycle is like the biggest superpower ever because it's a direct window into your health. Like as a woman, you you can you can detect so many things so early based on your cycle fluctuations. Yeah, especially if you're someone who has a normal cycle and it yeah. becomes irregular, that's a great like ding ding ding, something's wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, anyway, yeah, so that's another huge issue with women with PCOS is the first sign is irregular periods. And what do the doctors recommend? Birth control. And if you get on birth control, then all of those other symptoms that I talked about kind of regulate. And you're probably like, oh, fantastic. Get on birth control to regulate my cycle. However, birth control is like a is like putting duct tape on a giant massive hole in the hull of a boat. Like... <laughs> You're still going to be drowned. Like, the water is still coming in, even if the duct tape is over it. Yeah. And a lot of times, birth control hides a lot of these symptoms. So you don't know that you have PCOS or you don't know that you have irregular hormonal symptoms until you decide you want to get pregnant. And then it takes months, years to get pregnant. Yeah. Because birth control was the Band-Aid over the thing and didn't fix it. But a lot of doctors are trained, oh, PCOS, hormones, hormones, birth control. That's just kind of the trajectory they go on. And they don't ask all these other questions. I have to every single time I go to the gynecologist. It's the first thing that I tell my doctor. They're like, hi, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. I do not want to be on birth control. And they will still tell me yeah. get on birth control. Even though I adamantly am like, I'm not getting on birth control. My- my favorite memory is going to the dermatologist at like 17. I was having like literally probably teenage acne, but my mom was like, fine, I'll take you because I was freaking out. And he's like, well, we'll just put you on birth control. That'll help it get under control. And obviously, so thankful my mom like educated us and was like into tracking cycles and stuff. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. It's it's a class one carcinogen, which is means it's a known cancer-causing thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, oh where did you read that? Like basically trying to make me feel like I'm dumb. And I'm like, dude, you're so getting paid by these companies. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Every time they're like, well, all of these symptoms would go away if you just got on birth control. And I'd be like, yeah, but what's going to come up when I get off the birth control? Like I'm already going to have fertility issues. Am I just going to be completely infertile? Yeah. And Side note, I've only been on birth control one year out of, like, the entirety of my fertility years. Mm -hmm. And the one year I was on it, the amount of issues I had was horrendous. I bled for, like, three months. Like, they had to check my iron levels because they were afraid I was iron deficient because I was bleeding so much. And then on top of that, like, I was manic depressive textbook to a T. Like, I was having so many issues. Never in my life have I been suicidal until I was on birth control. Like, so many issues. And I finally, like, told my doctor, I'm like, I feel like, and I was tired. Like, I just felt like general crap. And I was Mm -hmm. in college. Like, I was in my second year of college, and I was struggling to just survive college. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to be off birth control. And the doctor was like well we can try another one like are you sure you don't want to be an IUD or like wait is that how you say IUD yeah yeah like we can get you on that instead and I've heard way too many horror stories about IUDs so I was like absolutely not right oh my goodness Uh, you are when we do our birth control episode I'll reference this book a lot it's called this is your brain on birth control It's science-based, but it's written in a way. I read it before I had done like super big deep dives. It does a really good job of like explaining it in an understandable way. But the amount of people that in their 30s come off birth control, like you said, to like try to get pregnant and they feel like a completely different human, like their whole personality changes. We can go into this, but like they aren't as attracted to their partner anymore because their families are different. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I've heard of that book. I want to read it. So that's always the front line 
if you get diagnosed with PCOS, they're going to tell you to go on birth control. Don't do it. Advocate for yourself. I mean, okay, I'm also a huge supporter of, like, being sexually safe, but also, like, you're allowed to have fun. But tracking your cycle is also a great natural birth control. If you know when you're ovulating, then you won't get pregnant. <laughs> yep. You really so you many pregnant, like, three days of your cycle. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a whole other misconception. They yeah. say it's they say ten days because sperm can live for five days, but the you ovulating, you mm-hmm. you ovulate, you only have twenty four hours for that egg to get fertilized before it yeah. starts breaking down. Some women they've seen maybe the egg lasts forty eight hours, so right. like one to two days is really the only time in your cycle you can get pregnant. It just varies on when if, you ovulate. If you're ovulating. A lot yes. of women have issues that are not even ovulating. So. Yes. And that's another huge issue with PCOS. Like a lot of women are unable to get pregnant because they, it's called anovulation, A N ovulation, because even though you have a cycle, say your cycle is normal, you might not release an egg. Or if one of your cysts bursts instead of you ovulating, then that is not an egg that can be fertilized. So a lot of women with PCOS have a really hard time getting pregnant and have to go through fertility treatments. But yeah, so the next thing that doctors love to say, because oftentimes women with PCOS tend to have a lot of weight gain, particularly in their middle, which doctors are trained to be like, that's what causes insert any disease insert anything (laughs) and so the next favorite thing that doctors like to say is let's put you on weight loss the last doctor i had was so kind and was like you don't look like you need weight loss so i'm not going to recommend it for you those words verbatim is what the doctor told me yeah as someone with body dysmorphia and an eating disorder that was fucking traumatizing (laughs) i would love to be a fly on the wall in a medical appointment for you just to see how you verbally attack these doctors (laughs) oh yeah i just i just made another appointment and they always ask to weigh you before or they don't ask they just say get on the scale that's my favorite argument and i am so prepared to be like no sorry i don't want to be weighed today and i can't wait i'm i'm gonna tell you guys what happens because I'm curious to know because a lot of women are very scared to say that. Like, I don't want to be weighed, which we've said this before. You do not have to get weighed at any medical appointment unless you are taking medication that was weight specific. And medications that are weight specific are only heart medication and cancer medication. No other medication requires your weight unless you're like an extreme on it. Yes. And a lot of times they'll be like, okay, just step on backwards, but you can just. You can be like, why do you need my weight? Because right. unless it's one of those reasons, yeah. they'll probably be like, just in case. You're like, well, we can do it then if we need it. But I'm super ready. I'm going to be like, I'm sorry. I'm an eating disorder recovery, and that is triggering for me. So I'm not weighing myself. I'm not getting weight. I refuse. I will not do it. I know well, my okay. weight is healthy weight, okay? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the doctors are going to say. And I did get this question on my Instagram someone was like why does dieting seem to be the only answer for PCOS first of all it's not it absolutely is not and if you are concerned about your weight there is intentional weight loss that is not dieting that you can do on PCOS that could be helpful and a lot of that just includes adding specific things to your diet which I will get to but Mm -hmm. the biggest and then they say lifestyle changes and then you ask them what lifestyle changes can I make (laughs) and they don't tell you any of the good stuff like maybe don't wear perfume anymore or don't eat out of a plastic container or cook on nonstick cookware they tell you to go on a diet (laughs) that's not a lifestyle change you can't perpetually be on a diet that's a lifestyle change is sustainable exactly so that makes me mad every time i'm sure you can i'm sure you can tell this is aggravating yeah (laughs) and then the other thing that the doctors always say i've heard this multiple times now they're like all right just come back to me when you're ready to get pregnant and we'll get you on fertility medication (laughs) (laughs) which fertility medication also fucks you up and 
that should be like a last resort thing. IVF is fantastic for people who want to get pregnant. I am in no way saying that it's not useful, but it also should be the last resort because they are doing a lot of things to your body mm-hmm. to get you to ovulate. <laughs> right. It's like, I feel like a lot of medications in general, they are band-aid solutions because people don't want to dig to the root problem and make lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And doctors have, what, 15 minutes with you? They're not yeah. going to sit down and have a deep conversation with you about lifestyle changes, which is a whole issue with our medical system. And oh, yeah. Reagan and I can do another whole entire podcast just on that. <laughs> our medical system, doctors are not trained to heal people. They're trained to put Band-Aids on stuff. Yeah. At least MDs. like Which is one of the biggest things my husband's in medical school right now he's an osteopathic but I mean it's the same content but that's one of his biggest pet peeves and why he's leaning more towards surgery is he's like I just don't want to be a glorified pill dispensary (laughs) because no offense it's like kind of what you're trained to do yeah like that's what they spend most of their time on Mm -hmm. those are the treatments (laughs) As I said, they're probably going to tell you birth control, lifestyle changes, and then fertility treatment when you're ready to get pregnant. Now, quick question. Oh, go ahead. So you mentioned earlier that you finally convinced your doctor to like do a test that helped you get the diagnosis. Was that the ultrasound? Uh, so it was all of the tests. So um, okay. I had to do three separate blood tests at different points in my cycle to check for, they're going to check, first they're going to check thyroid your thyroid hormone because that can also impact your cycle a lot if you have thyroid issues so they'll check for Hashimoto's and Graves yeah so they'll check your thyroid hormone because that has a huge impact and then they will check your FH your follicular wait, what is it yeah follicular hormone and yeah. hormone yeah and then they'll check your LH which is your luteinizing hormone And then they will check your um, progesterone levels after your time of ovulation. And that was the one that was messed up most for me. My, uh, your progesterone is supposed to increase after your luteinizing hormone because progesterone, side note, is what prepares your uterine lining for baby. And it just like is the prequel to preparing your body to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And mine was super low i got because i was able to read the test i got it and i was like oh god <laughs> i need a new projection so that was the three test or yeah they did three separate ones because they have to check it throughout your cycle so i had to go at closer to the beginning of my cycle and then the middle and then closer to the end and that's how they did those and mm-hmm. then after that once they got the blood tests and they saw my progesterone was low, they were like, okay, we're going to do a ultrasound. They didn't gotcha. even do the ultrasound until they got the blood tests, which gotcha. I've heard is pretty normal. Yeah. Because they're trying to, they're quote unquote trying to save you money. Right. I had a thought too for someone who might be wondering if they might have like not even PCOS, but even hormonal issues in general. If you're looking for a good OBGYN and if you go on their websites, you can find ones who lots of times they'll say like specializes in natural family planning. Basically, that means is they've trained themselves in how to track cycles. So they'll be more willing to work with you to naturally figure out what's going on and not just band-aid it with birth control. Yeah. So that can be helpful. And if you're lucky enough to have those in your city... Yeah. Congratulations. I don't yes. have any OBGYNs like that in my city that yeah. specify in that. I have to specifically go see an a uh, naturopathic doctor and none of the naturopathic doctors in town specialize in pre-pregnancy pregnancy. I do have an ND who is pedi- pediatric ND. So when okay. I have kids, we'll be going there. Yeah. They don't do... They'll do pregnancy and post-pregnancy, but they don't do anything pre-pregnancy, which was kind of disappointing for me. As a a side note, Olivia and I did a project in grad school about like women's fertility and hormone health in Albuquerque. It's not great, guys. There's not a lot of good options, but it was so frustrating. Yeah. Like, wow. So 
anyone like me is absolutely fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Now I'm going to kind of tell you guys some natural medicine that does have research behind it that can help with mitigating some of these symptoms as well as um, helping with fertility and just kind of helping regulate. And then I will tell you guys what I've tried and what I've heard about and if I haven't heard about it, but I'm willing to try. Yeah. So the first thing is berberin which is a is found in plants like golden seal, uh, Oregon grape, which is fairly uh, well known, tree turmeric, which is different from turmeric. Okay. <laughs> but it's a it's an antioxidant at its core, and so it's really helpful for infl- decreasing inflammation. But it also can help improve insulin resistance. So if you're already experiencing insulin resistance, but you're not quite too, you're pre-diabetic, but not diabetic, this is a great supplement that you can take. Mm-hmm. I recommend the supplement brand Thorn. Any supplement brand, Reagan's going to do a whole episode on supplements, but supplement brands, I always check for third-party testing and Thorn with an E at the end, so it's, T-H-O-R-N-E has third-party testing. And so I I use their prenatal, but they also have a specific supplement for this. Yeah. Not promoting utilizing it, but it could be helpful. And it has yeah. been shown to also reduce male sex hormones. So if you're someone who is really struggling with high testosterone and excessive body hair or facial hair, this can potentially be useful. I'm going to say this for all of them. They're all potentials. Uh, a lot of these research is still small. Like I said, with PCOS, they're still doing a lot of research on it. But uterine health is something that is a lot of natural medicine has already done thousands and thousands of years of research for yeah. this. Not like scientific research like we're used to, but they utilize it a lot. So a lot of these natural medicines come from natural medicines like Chinese medicine or Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. So, berberine is one. Uh, chromium, which is just a type of vitamin, it can also improve insulin sensitivity. They tell people that that could be helpful for someone with pre-diabetic. It is not digested well in a lot of forms. The most digestible form is <laughs> science words are hard. Okay, <laughs> picolinate. All right, I C O. L-I-N-A-T-E is the most digestible form. So if you're considering it, that's the form you should look for. Probiotics and symbiotics are always, even if you don't have hormone issues, I always promote a probiotic because everybody needs probiotics for your Mm -hmm. gut health. But if your gut is healthy, then that's automatically going to decrease inflammation. And a lot of our hormones are actually started in the gut not necessarily mm-hmm. finished, but a lot of our hormones are started or potentially created in the gut. And so if you have a healthy gut, then you have a higher chance of your hormones regulating. Yeah. Again, we need a gut episode. Oh, yeah. I think we have like three of them ready to have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Of course we do. Um, <laughs> probiotics. I like the Seed Probiotics brand. They did like they use a lot of research on. So the different types of microbes that are in your gut are present at different amounts depending on the species. So their product is really aimed at having ratios of species that are specifically good for your gut. So like any old probiotic might not be what you need, but they try to do the best job. I've heard people have the most luck with them. Yes. Or food probiotics. So like kombucha, kimchi, tempeh, nato, Real soy sauce, not the Kikimo, Kikimo <laughs> soy sauce. Not not it real, is. Yeah. That's not real soy sauce, but real soy sauce is actually a probiotic. Um, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut, fantastic. I always recommend kombucha because that one seems to be the thing a lot of people can get behind. It is an acquired taste, but mm-hmm. it's a drink, so it's easy. And... Yeah. Try different flavors, too, because some flavors you might not like, but you could find a flavor you do like. Exactly. And different brands do different stuff. Mm -hmm. 
what else? There's always one. I always forget one. But probiotic foods are the easiest to digest and the easiest for your body to utilize. Yep. If you are someone who has not been eating probiotics, I'm going to say that if you start taking probiotics, you might have some unwanted symptoms to start with. It's the <laughs> same with fiber. You might mm-hmm. get some bloating. You might get some gas. Your tummy might get a little rumbly. Your stomach should never get upset from probiotics. But some people do experience diarrhea occasionally. So if you're trying to incorporate probiotics slowly, yogurt, that's the one I forgot. Oh, (laughs) yeah, duh. Are we okay? Yogurt Yogurt and kefir are usually the ones that people go for. Yogurt, though, you have to specifically find yogurts that actually have probiotics because Mm -hmm. uh, yogurt like Yoplait is not a probiotic because they um, (laughs) over process it so yeah. all of the microbes are dead <laughs> mm-hmm. so they might say probiotic but they're not great options like, yes. like kefir is really good and the nordic yogurt is oh, called like skier yeah yeah that's a fantastic probiotic but yes i wanted to say that some people do experience some discomfort it goes away over time It's Mm -hmm. just because you might not have the best ratio of gut bacteria, but we're going to do a whole episode on that. So stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next things that I'm going to, I'm going to try and go through them fast. There's a lot of things that can help with PCOS and it's very, it's different for everyone. So I'm just going to go over ones that I've tried instead of going through all of them because there's quite a few. So chamomile, chamomile tea. Great for inflammation. Helps with bloating. It also helps with stress hormones. It mm. it kind of regulates your stress hormones. So not necessarily related to your sex hormones, but stress causes inflammation. Inflammation causes more issues. So yeah, chamomile tea is one of my favorite things to have before bed because it also makes you sleepy. So <laughs> love that. Chase tree or Vitex is a fun story. I have three vitex plants in my backyard and i didn't know that's why i had those so i can harvest my own vitex i tried last year and i'm gonna say it's a little challenging (laughs) processing (laughs) because it's tiny little like you have to wait for them to dry and it's basically the seed of the plant so it's complicated so i did try this for a while however i was taking it at the same time that i was taking hormone medication progesterone specifically to try and like regulate my hormones which I didn't do great on that either (laughs) (laughs) but I was taking them at the same time and so I can't confirm or deny if it helps my symptoms regulated for a little bit and then I started getting other symptoms from the hormonal stuff but (laughs) it is one of the number one things that herbalists recommend for women with PCOS so it has a chance for helping yeah, I um, take a herbal supplement for hormones that has Vitex in it. Mm-hmm. It's been helpful for me. So there you go. Yeah, it's it's got a, that one actually has quite a bit of science behind it that it yeah. specifically helps with sex hormones. So uh, cinnamon helps with insulin resistance and inflammation. I just put cinnamon in my coffee every morning, and I find that it does help quite a bit. It helps with bloating. If you're a PCOS girly, you know the bloating is like Satan hates you. So yeah. it's always, oh, always going to be an issue. Yeah. But I find cinnamon helps, especially because sometimes coffee can also cause bloating. So kind of helps mitigate that. Yeah. Let's see. What else have I tried? I haven't tried this, but everyone tells me I need to. Flaxseed apparently mm-hmm. is like the thing. If you have hormonal issues, take flaxseed. <laughs> Have you done, because I know that's one of them, have you ever done, like, um, seed cycling? I haven't. I've wanted to try it, but I'm not going to lie. I'm just really not great at being consistent. Yeah, that one does require consistency, but it has a ton of research to back it up. It does. It does. Uh, Didn't one of our cohorts, didn't Sarah do a whole thing Mm -hmm. on hormone? Yeah. So seed cycling look it up it is very useful for women flaxseed in particular you can put that in anything i've been told it's like a really great addition to things so and a lot of research behind it to be useful keep your flaxseed in the fridge because it can go rancid 
like you won't taste it but it'll it'll just like be like taking <laughs> excess free radicals which will be um very inflammatory so keep it in the fridge <laughs> like the opposite of what you wanted yes. it to do yep. <laughs> so put it in the fridge <laughs> uh spearmint tea mm, this is I one of my it. favorites because spearmint tea is one of the only things that has proven to help decrease androgens specifically testosterone and so as someone who does have a little excess body hair i find it to be very helpful with that it kind of just decreases the amount of times you have to wax your face <laughs> anything helps anything I, helps i and like all these teas you're listing because it tying into the getting better sleep to help with stress hormones to decrease inflammation they can be part of like a pre-bed sleep routine that like primes your body for sleep yep. like i love peppermint tea and like a square of dark chocolate that's like my it's time for bed signal yeah so yes perfect there are quite a few chamomile spearmint teas i will say spearmint is not the same as peppermint so <laughs> It's specifically spearmint has been studied to help with this. Peppermint, not so much. So when you're looking for mint teas, make sure it has spearmint in it. Um, coconut oil. Coconut oil is just like one of those like cure-alls. Like if you've got inflammation, add coconut oil to your cooking. Add coconut oil. I use it as my part of my skincare routine. I add it to my lotion. And oh, yeah. it's really nice for that, but also ingesting it is fantastic you can take supplements of coconut oil but those are pricey and expensive you can just go to costco and get like the giant thing of coconut oil and yeah. just incorporate it into your like if you have smoothies put it in your smoothie you can use it for cooking it has a fairly high cooking point but i wouldn't use it for like frying stuff right but um, coconut oil as a topping for like if you just have like plain air pop popcorn and you use coconut oil as the oil, that's like really good. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So coconut oil helps with inflammation and it also decreases cyst formation for your ovaries. The study that I looked at was fairly small, so I'm not going to be like, this is a for sure thing. However, mm -hmm. they are showing that it could help with cyst formation. So I'd love to keep up with that research to see if it continues to prove be proven. Mm -hmm uh pomegranate juice is something that i'm just recently learned about and i'm trying to incorporate it pomegranate juice is kind of expensive so it's it's not something that i can do all the time i feel like it's expensive because it's such a hot superfood right now yeah but it does decrease testosterone and estrogen in your blood so it just mm -hmm. kind of decreases those things and so that'll help with all the other symptoms you get with pcos like bloating painful periods cramping excess body yeah. hair etc what um, about i'm curious did you come across tart cherry juice uh no or is that different because i know it's yeah. like similar but tart cherry, tart cherry juice is really good for muscles like yeah. okay, muscle soreness and stuff yeah but they haven't done much research on it for uterine health so i'm not sure interesting interesting uh ginger another great bedtime tea to have <laughs> or to just have randomly ginger is the only thing that i've been able to take to help with bloating the only thing that really? ginger and turmeric tea are the two things that are the only thing that'll help with bloating nothing else helps even taking like nsaids anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. medication even that sometimes doesn't help with my bloating but ginger wow. tea or ginger chews i love ginger chews very useful for that uh i, just I love ginger yeah i do too. i do too it's not a hard sell for me you say no. add ginger into your life i say okay <laughs> right oh my gosh guys if you've never tried like adding a chunk of like ginger root into your smoothie it's mm -hmm. so good like it's a unique kind of little like spice but like a blueberry ginger type smoothie vibe is really good yeah adding ginger to any asian dish also fantastic ginger is mm -hmm. also great for fiber it's got a lot of that insoluble fiber and very good for that as well uh i already did my spiel on turmeric so i'm just gonna skip over that one the last one raspberry leaf tea yes is something that i need to add into my life that i just haven't gotten to but it's 
tonifies your uterus so it just kind of keeps your uterine walls like strong but it also is really really useful for cramping Mm -hmm. and that is the thing that they tell women to drink it it's also safe for pregnancy so you can drink it while you're pregnant whereas a lot of these other things aren't necessarily safe for pregnancy so raspberry leaf tea it also is a huge anti-inflammatory so yeah if you're gonna do do any of the things that i just said raspberry leaf tea that is going to help so much with anything uterine (laughs) shameless plug i did a like a pregnancy ebook for my part of my capstone which i need to like finish and like release but i have like a raspberry leaf tea popsicle situation because like sometimes you don't want a cup of tea sometimes you want a popsicle and so i'm excited about that but put it out put it out (laughs) also note because i know you mentioned a lot of teas and then we also talked about like plastics and microplastics Mm -hmm. if you can find like bulk teas that are loose leaf and use like a strainer rather than have tea bags because tea bags do have microplastics in them that is always a better choice definitely or find the brands that do compostable tea bags the loose leaf tea is always going to be the best option but like at my grocery store i don't have loose leaf tea i have to like go out of my way and it tends to be a little more expensive right like i always find it at like the co-op type stores but yeah it's more expensive yeah like i have an herb store it's literally called the herb store (laughs) but everything's just a little more pricey there and Mm -hmm we're still coming out of grad school you know (laughs) guys we're balling on a budget balling on a budget um another shameless plug that i really want them to sponsor me in particular is i started taking elix it's a chinese medicine company that sends you your own personalized um herbal tincture tincture thank you they send you your own herbal personalized herbal tincture and i Whenever I stop taking it, I feel like an idiot because all my PCO symptoms get 10 times worse. And yeah. every time I take it, I'm like, oh, I should have just kept up with this. You guys, um, I was skeptical. Olivia turned me on to Elix. And it's nice because, like she said, it's specific to your own like hormonalness. My cycle is super affected by stress. And I'm a naturally very high stress individual, like type A+. Plus. Um, and like she said, herbal supplements take a little bit to build up in your body. But ever since I've incorporated Elix, I'd say probably like two to three months later, my cycle has never been better. It's really, it's really worth the money. It it is. And it's honestly super reasonably priced. It's like $120 for three months supply. So I'm not a math person, but you can break that down in your head if you'd like for monthly. (laughs) But so yeah, that is kind of. Oh, I had one other question that I need to answer. Trigger foods, yeah. uh, common trigger foods. And so since PCOS is can be very individualized and everyone does have different experiences with food, some stuff is for some people and some food isn't a trigger. But one of the biggest trigger foods is going to be um, overly <laughs> processed oils are going to trigger because those are inherently inflammatory and anything that causes inflammation is going to cause issues with PCOS because it's so related to your hormones and your hormones are super related to inflammation. Mm-hmm. So maybe not one specific food, but like if you're going to eat fried food, maybe also have fibrous foods with it to help slow down. Decreasing processed food is always going to be an answer. Whole foods are always going to be better eating the rainbow so eating that doesn't mean go buy skittles purple foods in particular super duper high in antioxidants so those are going to help but yeah just like highly processed foods in general are probably going to cause more symptoms especially painful periods acne it can have a weird impact on androgens so it can also cause like the extra hair growth it can also Mm -hmm. cause increased testosterone issues so decreasing processed food in general is probably going to be best however you know me i'm not going to tell you to cut something entirely out of your life just gentle nutrition right like if you're going to have fried chicken maybe also have something with fiber with it or 
make sure if you're going to have fried chicken from the local fried chicken place, maybe don't do it every week because they don't switch out their oils often enough. And as a encouragement to people who might like have a lot of processed foods in their diet and cutting them out, it takes your taste buds. I think it's like 30 to 60 days to turn over. So eating more whole foods might seem kind of at first, but your taste buds really do change. Like, so be persistent, stick with it. (laughs) Yeah. And you can make your food taste so good. It just takes time and time and effort. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. like you said, like switch it out, like use avocado oil and olive oil, you know? Yeah. Everyone always says to use olive oil really quick. Olive oil is not great for high heat. It breaks down, making it inflammatory. So I always recommend avocado oil. However, I do understand that avocado oil can get pricey. And so as an alternative, coconut oil is a great addition and vegetable oil but looking specifically for vegetable oil that's organic Mm -hmm. is a little bit better again it's so i think it's so complicated trying to make switches especially if you're lower income yeah this is and unfortunately that is also the people who are experiencing pcos at higher levels is because they're constantly being surrounded by chemicals and plastics Mm -hmm. and seed oils and inflammatory things yeah so making small changes is important i got diagnosed with pcos two years ago and it has been a very slow process Mm -hmm. so by no means do you have to switch your entire lifestyle by tomorrow it takes a lot of time it took me a really long time to switch to uh, cast iron because one cast Mm -hmm. iron is expensive and two, cast iron takes a while to season, so it's not nonstick. And so you can't cook everything in cast iron right away. And the nonstick, we're all very used to our nonstick stuff. So it just takes time. Switching from plastic to glass, also slow but steady. Switching yep. your, your cutting board from plastic to wood or bamboo, specifically mm-hmm. bamboo is also a great option but just slow small changes yeah will eventually have a huge impact rather than trying to like overhaul your entire life mm-hmm. it's like doing the best with what you can you right. know not yeah. to the detriment of your economic situation <laughs> right like stress is is gonna cause more inflammation than anything so as yeah. easy and less stressful as you possibly can get yeah but yeah, so PCOS, it's it's a pain, it's complicated, but it's not the end of the world. And even though it is a chronic condition and there is no cure for it, there's absolutely so many things out there that can help mitigate all of the symptoms. I follow quite a few people who are PCOS nutritionists that give great options for food alternatives. Um and just promoting general health lifestyles that can be useful. I'll add them in the description if you're curious to follow them. But yeah, that's my my rage PCOS episode. I loved it. I learned so much. I, I think a big takeaway is that if you're someone who's like trying to tackle PCOS, the importance of also taking the time to learn intuitive eating and fix your relationship with food since you do have to kind of think about your diet more than the average person without health issues can be super helpful. Yes. So shameless plug, if you want to work with Olivia, she has a program coming out soon. I was just going to say, by the time this episode comes out, my program will be closed. However, it'll be back open in May. So join the wait list because the wait list will be available. Uh, You can also work with me personally. I Mm -hmm. just, I, also do just individual sessions so if it's something you're interested in check it out (laughs) we love (laughs) well thank you guys so much for listening i hope this was helpful to learn a little bit about pcos and just even if you don't personally have pcos just understand that it is very prevalent and there likely is someone in your life who has it and just be cognizant and aware and sensitive to the fact that 
it freaking sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a chronic condition. It's never going to go away. And it's a daily struggle. And it's something on top of regular life that these people have to deal with. And just being kind and sensitive to people who have chronic conditions is really important. Exactly. Thanks, Olivia, for mm-hmm. all of your research. Yeah, absolutely. Well, till next time, guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> See you later. Hey, guys. It's Olivia here. As you heard on this episode, I am offering individual sessions. And as it is the month of February, the month of love and self-love, I am also offering a special discount to people on our podcast. So if you are interested in getting nutrition counseling for anything from intentional weight loss to intuitive eating to mitigating symptoms from a chronic condition, you can sign up to do individual sessions with me. And as a special thank you for our podcast listeners, I will be doing a 30% discount for those who sign up in the month of February. If you use the code LOVE24, that's capital L, capital O, capital V, capital E, 24, you will get 30% off my services. So if you are interested, go ahead and click the link down below and sign up today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Nutrition Talk with Reagan and I. If you love this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, tagged us in a story, or just left a comment or question on what you enjoyed and what you want more of. You can also follow us on Instagram with the links below in the show notes. Thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.